The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, come on, you already know you're in the right place. And it's true. What is the buzz on the street today? I've got a good one for you. This is a quote from John McAfee. Anybody close your eyes. Think of McAfee. What did that mean? Yes, he was an American. He is still alive. American computer programmer and businessman who founded the software company McAfee Associates back in 1987. You may remember this was the first commercial antivirus software and they now sell an entire list of enterprise security software and the company was renamed to Intel Security but most of the products still say McAfee. His wealth peaked at $100 million back in 2007 and then the crash, what can I tell you? But here is the quote. It's very telling about our topic today. John McAfee said, The most promising privacy thing is stupid phones. I'm dumping all my smartphones. Of course, I gave it a little Bronx twist there. I am from New York, but that's not my borough. So what is this all about? We as individuals have welcomed, often with open arms, internet-connected, often mobile devices. Why? They help us make decisions. Do you want to know how to get to that restaurant? Or where are you going to meet your friends? Or what's the weather going to be in Phoenix when you're on your way there? Or is your plane going to be late? Blah, blah, blah. We're looking for help all the time. Here's a reality check. The example I just gave usually involves a chatbot. Do you love Alexa? Do you love Siri? Have you proposed to any of them? Every time you ask your chatbot for anything, you are leaving behind a trail of what we will call digital breadcrumbs. Think about that. Trail, Hansel and Gretel, you know where I'm going with that. What's the big deal? Okay, advertisers, retailers, manufacturers, and lots of others are looking for, waiting for, ready to capture and analyze your data crumbs. What are they going to do with them? Well, think about it. They want to sell you something. They're building and they're using detailed profiles about you, your life, your lifestyle, maybe the people you're close to. So here's a reality check question and perhaps a pop quiz. Do you, you personally, in our audience all over the world, we know there are hundreds of thousands of you every year and we know you're in thousands of places around the globe. Do you care who sees your data? Do you care who uses your data? Do you care what they do with it? And then I'll give a flip side question. If not, should you care? Just let that sink in for a second. I have a panel today, very pleased to welcome three gentlemen who have a strong POVs about this and a lot of knowledge. So let me just tell you who they are and then we'll get started. First up, I'm welcoming the gentleman who was to blame for this topic because it dawned on him after he was on Coffee Break a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago that this was interesting. Brian Kilcourse, Managing Partner at RSR Retail Systems Research, LLC. Joining him on the panel is one of our futurists, extraordinaire Frank Diana, the 
Principal for Future of Business with TCS, Tata Consultancy Services. And rounding out the panel is our sponsor of the Future of Cars with Game Changers show and somebody who really feels passionate about this topic as well, Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. Larry's not driving in a car. He's on terra firma, and he has a lot to say about this. So first up, let me welcome Brian Kilcoris. And Brian, sorry to blame you, but I should give you credit for this great topic. Very timely. Brian was on a few weeks ago, and he quoted U.S. recently left U.S. President Barack Obama, who ended an eight-year term. And Brian decided, well, since I told him nobody else has quoted Barack Obama in a long, long time, if ever before on Coffee Break, Brian chose another quote from Obama. So here, you all know who he is. So here, if we're going to be connected, we've got to be protected. Brian Kilcourse, how are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. I really, really appreciate your pitching this topic to me. You were so, so uh, perturbed after the last show when we talked about retail. Remember a couple weeks ago, Brian? We talked about retail and we said an astute retailer can find and create a 360 profile on many of us already, whether we know it, whether we're aware of it, whether we like it. And you emailed me after the show and you said, I don't know. How do people really feel about this? Do we really want this to happen? So you and I put a, put our heads together and came up with the topic. So tell me about this quote from President Obama, please, Brian. Well, uh, President Obama is, uh, of course, trying to address this notion uh, that we are all increasingly connected 24 by 7. Um, in, in the context of retail, of course, uh, shopping has become a 24 by 7 activity. What's different between today and, and times past is that we are leaving, as, as you said, these digital breadcrumbs all the time everywhere. These are non-transactional signals that tell quite a bit about what we're looking at, how long we dwell on it, where we go from there, uh, the things that we do on the, in the digital realm, and, and um, even gets to causality. Uh, you can use this information to start to understand why a consumer is looking at certain things. But um, it's, it's exploding with the, the use of uh, or the introduction of Internet of Things technologies because those, of course, are also connected to the Internet, and they're also talking all the time and leaving all these breadcrumbs. So what's happening is that, that technologies are, exist today that allow us to examine those digital breadcrumbs and dynamically produce profiles about a consumer and their particular need and, and, and put it into a context. And most I think most consumers don't realize that's really going on. Now, the people who don't realize it's going on, Brian, before, before I bring in Frank and Larry with their quotes, question for you. Is this a generational thing? Are there demographics that go with this? For example, if you and I were sitting down with a group of millennials or even just one and we said, are you aware that you're leaving? Would they say yes versus somebody, let's say, in their 40s, 50s, 60s? What? Is there a generational <laughs> awareness? I just want to – can you uh, can you dip your toe in that water without getting stung? <laughs> well, I've got um, – you know, my family is now – I've got five grandkids and two daughters. One's a, I would call, call a classic Gen Xer and the other is a classic millennial and, of course, and their children. And I, I think I can tell you with great assurity that they are completely unaware of this issue, utterly. Wow. Wow. 
Well, okay, you stumped me on that one. Thank you very much, Brian. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm glad I asked. And, Brian, thanks again for the topic, and let's welcome Frank Diana back from uh, some kind of a world tour on business, and Frank is back here in the U.S. today. And Frank has chosen a quote from General Benjamin W. Chidlaw, C-H-I-D-L-A-W. This was inscribed, his words were inscribed on a wall in the International Spy Museum. That might tell you something. Let me give a little background before I read the quote. Uh, Chidlaw lived from 1900 to 1977. He died, I don't know what the circumstances were, but young at 76. Now you know how I feel about age. He directed the development of the United States original jet engine and jet aircraft. He may not be a household name, but he certainly left an impact. By 1940, he was chief of the experimental engineering branch of the U.S. Army Air Service, the precursor to the U.S. Air Force, and he was involved with the development of jet engines and on and on. A Certainly a distinguished man. He was the commander-in-chief of the Continental Air Defense Command as a general in 1955. So here's the quote, and listen up carefully, a lot of good stuff here. Simply put, it is possible to have convenience if you want to tolerate insecurity, but if you want security, you must be prepared for inconvenience. Frank Diana, profound as always. How are you, Frank, and welcome home. I'm great, and thanks for having me back. Delighted. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of Chidlaw? I've never heard of the guy, and yet he certainly made an impact on, on uh, our military and on our defense system, I assume. So yeah, what do you, yeah. how did you find the quote? Well, just in, in looking for something that was appropriate for this show, uh, he's one of several that came up as, a, as you know, a popular topic. Um, and so don't, don't claim to know him very well, but I love the quote. And how does the quote relate to exactly what we're talking about? Let's reference our digital breadcrumbs, our 360 profiles, our do you know it or not. People can follow you and know more about you than you might even realize you know about yourself. How does this relate? Well, I mean, it's the macro level thing, if you will. And, and I, as you know, as a futurist, I, I focus a lot of time on where we're going. Uh, but in terms of where we're going, uh, the millennials, for example, all they know is a world of, at some level, convenience that has been uh, digitally enabled. Right, and, and once you have something like that, it's very difficult to, to step backwards from it. So we don't want the inconveniences that might come from some of the, the things we would do to make sure we, we secured things or make sure our privacies were, were accounted for, all those things that in the short term might disrupt some of the convenience we've become accustomed to. In the long term, I, I think we solve these problems, but in the short term, I just think when you, once you establish value, it's very hard to walk back from that level of value. Okay. Do you think? Uh, do you agree with Brian about who is aware or not aware of the digital breadcrumbs and the impact, potential impact, and the prying eyes that are eager and ready and lurking to collect them? What's your POV on that, Frank? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. There's clearly a generational issue here. Um, lots of studies already talk to this in terms of millennials and how they think about it. But I also think that there is a, a cross-generational issue at play here. I mean, how many folks in a Google search today? have seen an ad that reflects something they just did maybe an hour ago. And, and you have to sit back and wonder, how, well, how did that happen, right? I mean, so I, I think... I raised my hand, Frank. I raised my hand three times. <laughs> Go ahead. This morning all together. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I just, I think that the signs are there, right? You have to wonder when you see this stuff, what's going on behind the scenes. And so there, there could be some level of blind eye or ignorance happening here as well. But I, I don't think it's just a generational thing because, again, the signs are all there. It's really, uh, are you paying attention? Do you care enough to, to pay attention, et cetera? 
Thank you very much. And Frank, welcome back. Always delighted to have you. And now Larry Stoley, our third panelist, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, has picked a new voice, a new face, a new person from the music world, new to Game Changers. I don't think anybody, Larry, has ever quoted Dolly Parton. And I'm so happy to see this quote. And anybody who has been literally hiding under a rock with uh, with deadening earphones on all these years might not know her. But let me give you a little background. She is the fourth of 12 children born to a farmer construction worker and his wife and uh, let's see her day uh, yeah, born in 1946 okay she's she's a, a grown-up uh, her family was described as being dirt poor and interestingly enough her father paid the obstetrician who delivered her he paid him with a bag of oatmeal that's all the family had. Today, Dolly Parton is the most honored female country performer of all time. 25 RIAA certified gold, platinum, and multi-platinum awards. 25 songs reached number one on the Billboard Country Music Charts, which is a record for a female in the business. 41 career top 10 albums and 110 charted career singles over the past 40 years. She's got more American Music Awards and Country Music Awards, Academy Award nominations, Grammy. She's received 46 Grammy nominations, and she's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, what can I tell you? Here is the beautiful quote from Dolly Parton. Larry, I almost want you to sing this, but I won't make you. <laughs> the quote is, "The quote is, I know, Larry, the way I see it, if you want to see the rainbow, you have to put up with the rain. I want to cry, Larry. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Larry Stoley, don't do that to me. How have you been, Larry? I've been well, Bonnie. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. A little bit out of your normal context on our show, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Nonetheless, this is a topic you jumped at when I invited you. So, Larry, yeah. tell me how this quote, how does the quote relate to what we're talking about? What would Dolly well, say? Well, well, first off, don't confuse me with one of those folks walking around with a smartphone and earbuds because I'm not that person. But, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, th- this quote from, from Dolly Parton said something to me, and it, it really follows what Frank said as well, you know. If you want to see the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. If you want that convenience, if you want that access, if you want all of that uh, capability at your fingertips, you've got to put up with some rain. You've got to put up with some risks. You've got to put up with some you know, uh, potential threats. You have to put up with all of that kind of stuff to gain that benefit and convenience that we talked about. And it's just as simple as that. Rainbows are beautiful. You know, sometimes there's a storm right before them. So uh, from a privacy perspective, that's just the way it is. And, you know, this whole notion, you you talked about who's aware of what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. with their information, their data, and so on. This whole notion, and, and I'm coming at this from the automobile industry, so... You know, this whole notion of privacy uh, is such a fluid thing because... When we're doing something, when we're shopping, when we're leading, leaving those digital breadcrumbs, we don't care. We don't think about it. The only thing we, only time we think about privacy is when something not so good happens. Somebody tries to scam us, you know, tap this thing, and you know, all of a sudden you open up all your private information to them, that kind of stuff. So, you know, privacy is a fluid thing to me. If there's no problem, if I'm getting value for it, I don't care. If all of a sudden I have a problem, I care a whole lot. And that care just came about two seconds ago if something happened. So, you know, I'm kind of sitting back and looking at this and saying, yep, it's the way it is. And there's not much we can do about it. So enjoy the ride. 
Very interesting. So you're saying it's a fait accompli, c'est ça, it's the way it is, it's just the way of life, we're in it, and it doesn't bother us until somebody bothers us. Let me just quickly go around the table and see if Brian and Frank agree with that. Brian, thoughts on what Larry just shared? Well, there's ample evidence, and we see it all in our daily lives. I certainly see it in my own, that uh, consumers are more than happy to give up information about themselves, either wittingly or unwittingly, if they get some value in return for it. So there's no question about that. And I don't think that you can expect um, consumers to be their own data, uh, uh, their own CIOs, if you will, making sure that the, the data goes only to whom it's intended but that, that puts a big burden on, on corporations who are using or collecting or using that data, and then we can talk about that in a minute, I suppose. But, but consumers, as has as been alluded to, you know, uh, they're more than happy to, to tell about themselves if they get something in return. And what they're looking for is solutions, right? For whatever lifestyle mm-hmm. issue they're looking at, they're looking for a solution. And they'll give up data as long as they get the solution they're looking for. Very well put. And uh, Frank, Diana, your thoughts on this, please? I think the current state is becoming very quickly the new normal. Um, and as everybody said already, that we're, we're very willing to trade do the trade-off as far as not just convenience but also savings in terms of our, our car insurance, as an example. Right. So, mm-hmm. so those, those trade-off decisions I think we're making unconsciously because of the value that's being derived. Um, and who knows how that plays out. I, I have opinions, obviously, in terms of what will happen next, but... At least at this point, I think uh, I agree. Okay, thank you very much. And I agree that it's time, even though you three didn't say it yet, it's time for us to get a little up close and personal, find out where you're calling from. Now, in the interest of our topic, and by the way, I haven't officially stated the episode title. I will now. You don't own me. Yes, people, Shades of Leslie Gore's song. I actually went to the same college she did way back in the day. Leslie Gore's song, You Don't Own Me, but the subtitle is, But What About My Data? That's what we're talking about today. So in the interest of up close and personal, I will say to Brian Kilgore, of course, Frank, Diana, and Larry Stoley, I don't want to know the Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. Not that personal. We will maintain a little bit of decorum and privacy here. Where are you calling from in general? And what's in your cup today? Let's see if Larry surprises us with something new. He's typically the typical. So uh, let's start with Brian Kilcourse. Where are you and what are you drinking? I am in currently sunny Northern California in the gold country, not too far from Lake Tahoe. And I am drinking my favorite morning cup, which is Pete's French Roast Coffee. I have to tell you a quick story. We had a panelist yesterday who said he was invited on a tour of the Pete's Coffee factory and became a delighted lifelong fan. He said it was an amazing <laughs> process, and he likes the Major Dixon. That's the uh, Everybody pronounces it Dickinson, but I think it's Dixon. He likes that particular flavor. This is twice in two days that that brand has come up. Thank you very much, Brian. And let's go to Frank. What are you drinking now that you're back here in the U.S.? Well, I'm back here in rainy New Jersey, and uh, <laughs> although I was very tempted to make a special coffee this morning, I'm just drinking coffee. And what's the what's the just coffee? Is it something that came out of a can, a bottle, a cup? Is it leftover? Come on, tell me a little more. Oh, I don't drink leftover coffee. It's, it's a freshly <laughs> okay. brewed pot of coffee. And if I were to make a special, it would also have Kahlua and Amaretto in it, but it does not. Ah, that's for later, but it is a rainy day and you're allowed. By the way, I was introduced to the topic yesterday, to the concept of a double-double. Does anybody know what that is? A double-double. Double-double. Don't double. tell me that's a Starbucks invention. 
No, it's not. Actually, I'm going to look it up in the Urban Dictionary. It's from Canada. It's a Canadian term used to describe how you take your coffee. Here it goes. Two teaspoons of sugar and two creams, preferably used in any Tim Hortons location. Server at your local coffee shop. May I take your order? You. Yeah, I'll have a medium double-double. So there, there you go. I'm sorry. It was a terrible, <laughs> terrible impersonation of I don't know whom. Thank you very much. So we all learned double-double today. Yes, and my engineer, Kevin, is telling me that an In-N-Out burger, a double-double is a popular burger. I'm, I'm not sure what a double-double is, but maybe it's two all-beef, you know what, and etc. Double-double all the way up and down the bun. So there we go. Thank you, Kevin. And let's get to Larry Stoley. Larry, anything surprising in your cup today? Not really. I, I <laughs> thought double-double was a basketball term, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, uh, my cup has got the usual black Folgers in it. It's a Yeti, uh, so it stays plenty warm. It's not burned. Uh, but that's uh, my routine, and I am a creature of routine, Bonnie. I know you are, Larry. You're our car, our official car guy. We appreciate that. I think we have three official representatives on this call. Frank, can we call you our one of our two official futurists, you and Gray Scott? Can I put that accolade on you, Frank Diana? Is that okay? Sure, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, and Brian, do you want to be our official retailer, our retailer yep, analyst? Yeah, I'm your captive retailer. Okay, thank you very much. I have a gift certificate I received from Hanukkah that's been sitting in my wallet. I printed it out. It was an e-card, e-gift certificate. It's been sitting in my wallet for two and a half months because I just don't need any retail. So I don't know. I must be a very bad, very, very bad citizen here, but I'll have to shop one of these days. We are having a very interesting discussion. Laughing aside, it's very serious. You don't own me, but what about your data? Where are you leaving the trail, the digital breadcrumbs, the bits and pieces of about you, maybe about where you work, about your family, about your health, about your preferences, about your politics, about your banking, anything or everything. You may be leaving all those clues, and there are people lurking and systems and apps lurking to collect them, to vacuum them up and put them into a profile about you. The question is, do you want them to do it? Are they the right people to do it? Are they going to surprise you with good or bad news after they've done it? And do you even care? A lot of interesting POVs here, points of view on the table. We're speaking today with Brian Kilkoris at RSR, Frank Diana at TCS, and Larry Stoley at SAP. All of them have company names with three letters. I love that. Makes it easier for me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. The pause that refreshes so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, uh, Brian Kilcourse is going to start the roundtable, and we've got some really interesting topics here. So all I'll say to my engineer is, Kevin, double-double, let's go out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, we are back with Brian Kilcourse at RSR, Frank Diana at TCS, and Larry Stoli at SAP, and I am Bonnie D. Graham. And glad to be here. Interesting topic. The topic is, you don't own me, but what about my data? We're going to get really, really serious here and talk about some case studies, some statistics. We don't want to frighten you, our listeners, our dear listeners, but we want you to be aware of what's happening. Maybe it doesn't matter to you. Maybe it suddenly will. Maybe it always has. Wherever you are, we hope this is informative. So, Brian Kilcourse told me the following in his notes. I'll read just a couple of snippets, and then Brian will expand it. Then we'll invite Frank and Larry to chime in. So Brian says, according to IBM, every day we create 2.5 quintillion, that's Q-U-I-N-T-I-L-L-I-O-N, bytes of data, so much that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone. Let me just leave that one alone. And he says, marketing data company Axiom, A-C-X-I-U-M, claims to have over 50,000 data attributes of consumer data, and the number of behavioral attributes is only growing. Brian, please put these numbers together and tell us what this all means. Well, this is this non-transactional stuff, the breadcrumbs that we talked about earlier, and uh, we're producing those at a, at a record rate. And this really started to explode with the, with the um, um, advent of smart mobile phones. Of course, smart mobile phones, phones uh, they do something really great for consumers. They inform us anytime and anywhere about whatever it is that we want to be informed about. But it also leaves a lot, they also leave lots and lots of signals that uh, can be used for good or for evil. But when you think about your mobile phone, think about what you're doing on it. You're using it for email. You're using it for social networking. Uh, you have There are apps that deliver behaviorally targeted ads to you. Uh, you might do it for use it for gaming. You've got plugins. Uh, you plug in. You uh, tie into advertising networks. There are internet-enabled location-based services like the GPS. And don't forget, you're also uh, either on your mobile phone or on your computer. You're also using uh, voice over IP. And all of these digital um, 
devices or, or capabilities that you have in your daily life are, are leaving tons and tons of signals about you, about what you're doing. So, for example, you might be in your car. You might be going to work, and you go. You take the same path every day, mm-hmm. and you stop at the sta- same Starbucks every day for your morning cup of joe, and you stay for a certain amount of time, and you use a certain credit card to pay for it. All of that is tracked someplace by somebody. Uh, the mm-hmm. question is, do you care? Um, and most most times the answer is no, you don't care. Um, somebody said earlier, I, I can't remember which one of my partners here on this call, but uh, we only care when something goes dramatically wrong. Um, and what's dramatic anymore? Uh, my, my credit cards have been breached three times in the last year. <laughs> is, it, is it just the way it is, is, this the way it is wow. nowadays? Do we have to accept that? Or should we be concerned? My bigger concern is that corporations themselves are, are, are grabbing this data or consuming this data without really understanding the implications of it um, uh, downstream and the, from a security and privacy perspective. And that's a big conversation. It is a huge conversation. And I can tell you at a point where we may not care, but every time I turn on a uh, crime show or one of the, those procedurals like uh, used to be Rizzoli and Isles, major, major crimes, NCIS, CSI, you know what I'm talking about, Brian and, and Larry and Frank. They seem to be tracking the perps or the missing person through the breadcrumbs of, oh, is there a GPS in the car? Is a phone on? When was the last time it pinged a cell tower? When was the last time their credit card was used? What ATM was it used in? What did they buy? What motel did they go to? What toll bridge did they go over? It's just immense. That's where I was made aware of this, watching TV. It's, wow, they can track him. How? That's how I was aware. So maybe that's for good, and from the criminal standpoint, not so much. Frank Diana, please join us. What do you think? Well, first, I didn't think I'd hear the term perps on the call today. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to sound official and cool, you know, Frank. What can I tell you? Perp, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I mean, so the whole notion of data, we've, everybody's heard the term data is the new oil, right? And and we're at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we haven't seen anything yet in terms of the instrumentation that is is coming and the kinds of data that flows from that instrumentation and, and the rush to monetize uh, that data, right? I mean, every company out there is looking at data as an asset and ways that revenue can flow from that asset, right? So I I think we're at the early stages of the implications and issues that we're talking about today, given given some of that, right? So, I mean, as acute as this problem seems to us right now, and and again, there is a lot of of ignorance out there in terms of just how acute it is, uh, I don't Mm -hmm. think we've seen anything yet. I want to make sure the listeners know Frank was saying acute and not cute. It's not a cute problem. It's an acute problem. I just just want to get that first first syllable in there. Thank you very much, Frank. What do you see when you when you when you watch TV? I don't know if you watch the same kind of shows I do when they're tracking people through and and they're not even saying, yeah, this guy's got about ten thousand digital breadcrumbs. Let's go create a three sixty profile. They're not doing that. But that's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? Well, it, it is, and interestingly, and you bring up TV, but if you think back to older TV, like Star Trek, for example, there's a lot of what was portrayed back then coming to reality today, right? So you almost see some early glimpses of some of what is likely to happen in shows like you just referenced. The difference being that we're on such an exponential pace today that the things are manifesting themselves so much sooner. Thank you very much. Larry Stoley, I know you're waiting in the wings. The motor is revving in that car and you want to join us. So, Larry, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it was really interesting a few years ago when we started considering the amount of data we were creating and how fast we were creating it. And I I think everybody accepts that, at least understands it, and it's not so much a, 
oh my goodness, think about that. It's not that anymore. Everybody is pretty much, you know, understanding that we're doing this. It's growing faster and faster exponentially, if you will. So, you know, I think that's not the point. The point really is what are people or what are companies, what are entities doing with this kind of stuff? And, you know, you're right when you say we haven't seen anything yet because, quite frankly, we're just kind of scratching the, the surface in terms of profiling, in terms of, oh, there's another word from the, that goes along with perps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're just beginning to scratch the surface as we start to move towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, those types of things. It's just going to boggle our minds what people or what is going to be known about us. And we're going to find out things about ourselves we didn't know. So, you know, this is, this is both scary and exciting in many, many ways. I, I'm interested in knowing what I don't know about me. Yep, I think so. Thank you very much, Larry. I'm going to circle back to Brian and ask if you have any comments on what Frank and Larry just added. Well, I think it is early days, and and, and I also think that consumers, um, they, they're they not losing a lot of sleep over this because it, it doesn't interfere with their daily lives in a negative way, except when it does, right? Um, except when it does. But, um, yeah, it is early days. I, I, I recently had a chance to see uh, some of the capabilities of IBM's Watson as it relates to oncology research, and it's truly amazing. I mean, it's amazing what these people can do with the technology to, 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 um, to help you to find the right therapies for whatever ails you. And that's all good. Um, imagine that same technology being used in another way to dynamically build a profile about what you what you are looking for, what you want to do based on your behaviors, and then matching it to literally tens or hundreds of thousands of other people for a, to 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 arrive at just the perfect solution for you. It sounds great, <laughs> but now imagine if it's a tax agency just for fun. Um, yeah. and, and just for fun, did you say? I haven't heard fun and tax used in the same sentence. But- me. Go ahead. Sorry, that's, that's a new yeah, one for me. You don't usually hear this. Um, no. Imagine if uh, artificial intelligence is used to predetermine whether or not you have a propensity to cheat on your taxes or not. Is it possible? Sure it is. Um, do you like that? Yeah. Probably not. Just two examples. Well, it- if you watch the TV show Bull, which is a kind of a spin-off of NCIS Michael Weatherly, who is Tony Dinozo uh, under uh, the, the lead on NCIS for years, now has a show where he is a jury analyst with a PhD, Dr. Bull. I think it's Dr. Jason Bull. And he sets up mirror juries that are demographically almost the exact match of the people who are actually selected on the jury. And they watch the behaviors and the microbursts in the courtroom while they're looking at the actual jurors to see if they can figure out and predict the propensity, the sentiment to go for or against the the defendant or the uh, the whoever else is in the courtroom. So very very interesting and uh, yes. So that's a show you might want to take a peek at. It's it's been very very interesting recently using physical as well as everything. Oh, digital breadcrumbs. Everything these people have ever done, where they've gone, what they've been, what they bought, what they've said, their politics. Everything is taken into account. They want to know every detail about the jurors in determining what side they might vote on when it comes down to the jury vote. Fascinating, I think. Okay, so. 
Let's move on to some topics from Frank Diana's notes. And Frank, let's let's go a little bit deeper on the serious side here. You say our longing for convenience means we've created a matrix that can and will be used against us. That sounds very damning, a very sinister. I don't want to read anymore. Why don't you tell us? Bring in the NSA just a little bit. And Frank, what's really going on? Is it our fault? Are we that addicted to convenience that we create all this? So tell me what this means. Well, well, no, because I think we're, we're, this discussion so far is focused on, you know, our interaction with technology and what it leaves behind to enable some of that synergies, if you will. But if you, if you look at the collective, the macro level, and, and all the instrumentation that's going on, surveillance cameras all over the place, I mean, you just think about what's happening. The, 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 the smart home and the things we'll build into our home, like, like the water uh, sensors, et cetera, right? There's an example of... Um, uh, using Alexa's sound file to, to look to see if uh, you can find anything that happened in the background while a murder was being conducted. At the same time, using a, a water sensor, they can tell that the water use at that hour of the morning would indicate somebody cleaning up a crime scene. Right? Now, so just think about that. That's, that's not something, so, uh, interaction that we initiated, but that's the technology sitting in the background that has, has one, helped solve a problem, but think about the implications of that from a privacy perspective, right? So it's not just the our interacting with technology, but it's the technology environment that we're creating that kind of amplifies this problem. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Do you think people think about that when they say, yeah, I want the smart lighting and I want the smart uh, doorbell? By the way, the guy who invented the, uh, what was it, ring.com, that's now what it's called, was on... uh, uh, what was he on the Shark Tank about two or three years ago? And they didn't like the idea and nobody invested in it. He has become the highest grossing new product that ever walked in Shark Tank in all eight or nine seasons mm-hmm. that wasn't, it wasn't given any money and they, they just didn't like it. He renamed it to ring.com and it is a huge success where you can see who's at your door digitally on your phone regardless of where you are in the world you can actually pretend to be home and answer the doorbell so to speak from anywhere and so the person thinks you're actually home so uh, very 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 interesting technologies that's convenience isn't it frank in well, to the convenient. nth degree yep and and so let's use the water sensor example if you yeah. have the sensors on on your water lines in your home and your insurance company gives you a, a break on your premiums because you can mitigate the risk of water damage as a result that's what you're focused on Right, you're not focused on the unintended consequences that might also flow from that kind of thing, right? And, and I think Brian said it as, as unintended consequences start to really multiply, maybe it changes our focus, right? I mean, you you have one autonomous vehicle kill a bunch of people, uh, and it might change our perspective on that autonomous vehicle, right? I mean, it, it just depends on how it plays out. But right now, I believe the focus is on the convenience, on the value that we get from these kinds of things. Thank you very much, Frank. Larry Stoley, thoughts about these unintended consequences, smart homes, smart cars, IoT sensors, and back to our privacy issue. Larry, what do you think? Well, certainly there are always unintended consequences, things I don't think about, things others don't think about. And, you know, if we sit down and and scratch our head and think about all of those possibilities, we can come up with, with quite a number of them, too you know, kind of, uh, oh, my gosh, what about, you know, kind of thinking and so on. But I think, you know, the the potential value, the potential upside far outweighs those things. And, you know, this is, this is kind of the glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. If we focus on the risks, we're going to, you know, not pay attention 
to a significantly greater um, opportunity for value, for convenience, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I've spent a, a great deal of time around connected cars, autonomous vehicles, and all of that kind of stuff, personal identities, who owns it, is it the car, is it the person's smart device, and so on. And, you know, if we're focused on what we need to be afraid of, we're not going to realize the benefits of what we have. So I will be the first to say I am many times scared to death, but at the same time, you just have to kind of throw off your inhibitions and uh, jump out of the airplane, so to speak. So it's a good world. You know, I, you, know you talk yep. about all these, you know, crime scene, you know, water usage, cleanup, all that kind of stuff. Think about the, the class action lawyers. Boy, they can find a class real quick, can't they? Mm-hmm. Class is now in session, pun intended. Yep. Thank you very much. Brian Kilchoris, let's add you to this conversation. What do you think? <laughs> By the way, Larry, uh, I have to tell Larry, it's raining like the dickens here, but the sun just came out. So talk about a paradox. I, I, don't, I can't figure it out. It looks like Miami, but it's a little colder. Brian, sorry to interrupt. Please go ahead, Brian. Is this where I say I'd love to have this? conversation with you, Bonnie, but I've decided to get off the grid. We, we're talking about class action lawyers. And, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, you Blame know, Larry. I, I, think, uh, I think these unintended uh, consequences are, are, are uh, we're thinking about if you are the curator of this data. I don't think that you can expect consumers to do this um, it's because it's, it's too complicated. And again, they're focused on the value that they're getting. It's, to me, this might seem like an extreme analogy, but it's, just, it's like the nuclear power industry, right? Um, that, the, what the consumer cares about is that they're getting electricity. Uh, what the nuclear power industry has to be concerned about is safety and the disposal of spent uh, fuel and things like that. Um, the same is true of all this new data. Uh, companies that are curating this data have to have an understanding of what sensitive data they're collecting, and they have to have an understanding about the relationships between those data, and then they have to have a way to, to effectively protect that data and alert uh, the users when something bad has happened and then be able to take remedial action. These are all kinds of things that, that the, you know, the CIOs of the world think about. But um, the challenge for them is that this data, as the Axiom and the IBM examples point out, is growing exponentially every single day. So it's a, it's a real fluid problem, as somebody said earlier. Very, very fluid problem. Fluid problem. I'm fluiding the words, actually. Uh, Frank, Diana, this was yours. Do you want to say anything before I move on to one of Larry's topics? Yeah, I, I actually like the uh, analogy around the nuclear uh, issues that we've faced in the past. And I think a, a couple of shows ago, we might have talked about some of this. The, the balance that's required going forward, the, I think balance is the key word here. We all want the positive things that come from the explosion we're seeing in both science and technology. I mean, the, the impacts to society are great, and we have to really move ahead very aggressively. We can't slow that stuff down. But there's a balance required. I think the, the, the ethics conversation we had a couple of shows ago is it's like the nuclear issues of the 50s and 60s. Will there be some broad global bodies that are put in place to start to manage some of these digital-oriented uh, issues as, as we move forward? Thank you very much. And Larry Stoley, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about top secret. This was an interesting comment you told me before the show. Larry says, my digital identity is just that, mine, but is it really? And then he adds, a friend had a, quote, 
top secret, unquote, clearance in the Air Force. But that digital identity is readily available on the web, including what the top secret was for. Larry, is this a real story? You want to tell us more, please? It's a a very, very real story. And, you know, I'll use the words like, I may have had a friend and she, you know, she may have had a top secret clearance. But the fact is, it's a true story. So when you combine the name with, uh, you know, the, the top secret, and then you can find the uh, uh, MOS, her military specialty, all of a sudden you know that this person knew a lot about something. And, you know, is that dangerous? Is that bad? You know, her words are, I hate it, but it's out there. So, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do uh, about a lot of our identity. I mean, a lot of what's Larry Stoley is out there. Um, I can't do anything about it. I can't pull it back. I can't uh, correct it. I can't uh, do a lot of things. So, you know, there's two choices I have to make. Not worry about it and uh, uh, move on. So that's the way the world is. And and I I see, you know, a couple of other things. We, we always we do have to be careful. We have to take the necessary steps to protect and to be aware of what we can do to protect certain things and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is technology is going to push the convenience buttons. It's going to move us forward. We're going to get more and more convenience. Uh, that's going to bring more and more risk. And, and you know, technology is also going to take up some of the uh, challenge of mitigating some of that risk. So... You know, all in all, we're technology-driven, and uh, we can lament that all we want, but the world is moving forward, and we're along for the ride. Thank you, Larry. Before I go around the table to Brian and Larry for their con- Brian and uh, Frank, I want to bring in one more of Larry's topics, because that was like a case study to me, Larry. This is very interesting. You say, we always focus on the consumer side of data breaches. Certainly. But the corporate side of data, both in terms of consumer trust and direct corporate risk, is exponentially larger. I'd like you to talk about this for just a minute or two, Larry, and then I want to see what Brian and Frank have to say. So please go ahead. Well, when I look at it, you know, I look at the individual risk and and say, okay, so what's my net worth and so on and so forth. And in the grand scheme of, you know, the gross domestic or product of the world, uh, you know, I'm kind of inconsequential. So that's my risk. But when you look at some of these big companies, particularly banks and so on and so forth, uh, the risk to them is even even higher. So if, if a major company, and it's happened, has a security risk, what happens to their sales? What happens to their stockholders and their stock value? What happens to everyone whose life is invested in that company and so on? If, if there's a downturn turn based on trust, it's very, very significant. The other side of the coin is, you know, some companies, banks in particular, can be very uh, negatively impacted in other ways. Money can disappear, those types of things. Trade secrets can disappear and so on based on what what is known about people and and their profiles and so on and so forth. So uh, in aggregate, the consumer risk is huge. In individual cases, not such a big deal. The the corporate side is one that is is very very humbling when you think about what can be and and what might be in terms of security and data risks and so on. And Thank you, it'll Larry. impact yep. a lot more than the company. I mean, stockholders, yep. customers, uh, you name it. 
Okay, thank you, Larry. Very, very deep side of our topic. I want to go around the table. Brian Kilcourse at RSR. Agree or disagree with Larry? Brian? Well, um, actually, I agree with that. Uh, there's, there's plenty of information that would indicate that corporations um, uh, are at risk as much or more so than consumers, and much of that data is sensitive. And we could get into long topics about um, protecting corporate data from your own employees, <laughs> those kinds of things. This really gets back to the technology. Um, uh, the the whole digital experience is now integral to our lives. It's not it's not adjacent. It's actually part of our lives, and that's not going to change, barring some unbelievable ca- uh, catastrophe. So the question really is: um, Can we we can bring all this technology to bear to deliver value, and that's wonderful. Um, but can we bring the technology to to bear to protect this data. And that technology exists too. But what I, what I see, as I've seen in so many different examples of how we humans approach anything new, our, our enthusiasm for any new technology always exceeds our understanding of the downside implications of them. And, we, and with time, we become wise. Uh, but in the beginning, uh, we make silly mistakes. And um, in this case, the, uh, the potential for mistake is growing so dramatically that it, 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 it behooves companies to take a whole different view of this than they might have in the past. And that's, that's where, I, where I finally come down. Thank you very much. And uh, Frank, Diana, TCS, love to get your point of view on this. Well, two things. One on the corporate piece, um, and that is um, I fear that if there is a big security or a risk that's incurred by a corporation and it slows down their innovation agenda, I think that's a bad thing. So I fear that um, if, if some of these things start to occur and people, for risk mitigation's sake, slow down on their innovation agendas, I, I think society in general will lose as a result. And the other piece was, as, as it relates to technology, uh, the, the same advances that are creating the environment we live in from a technology and a science perspective will also lend us the, the, the solutions to these problems. I think uh, we, we've all said this. I'm just reiterating that. So, for example, does, does blockchain capability down the road really uh, enable us to mitigate the risks of our digital identities being exposed? It, will we solve these problems with, with the same exponential technologies that have created them? And I, I obviously think we do. So uh, that's my response to those two. Thank you very much. And Larry, anything you want to comment? Because I have one very, uh, very iconic phrase from Frank that I want to bring up before we go to Crystal Ball, which we need to do predictions in about one minute. But Larry, anything quickly to wrap up on that one? Well, I, I, I'm just taken, you know, with the whole notion. You know, Robert, Robert Oppenheimer in 1945, when they exploded the first nuclear device in Alamogordo, New Mexico, in July, said, he quoted an Indian um, uh, it said, "I am death. I am the destroyer. I, I have become death. I am the destroyer of worlds." So, taking that, mm. you know, that's a pretty, pretty serious, pretty uh, intense statement. But you yeah. know what? Nobody let that get in the way. So, I think we're absolutely right. You know, the salvation, the the risk will come from technology. The salvation will come from technology. And across time, it's how we balance and how we uh, use both sides of the risk and the the convenience side of technology. That balance will be so critical, and it's important for us to focus on that, not to focus on either side versus the other. Larry, was that your crystal ball prediction? It sounded like future-looking to me, yes or no? Like it, yes. Absolutely. Okay, good. So we flipped the order around the table. Frank, <laughs> the statement you sent me that I wanted to get, Larry just uh, 
co-opted it. That's a polite word. <laughs> the balance, the balance. Frank told me before the show, he said, Bonnie, I want to take the balance position. Our connectedness will help platforms create frictionless life experiences for us and we'll get used to the seamless way we do things. Think about Alexa. But are the sound files captured by Alexa discoverable? Will we give up the ease in how we get things done or the money we can save at the expense of privacy? Where is the tipping point? Frank, let's do uh, predictions for you. Brian, I won't forget you. I'll come to you next. But Frank, let's do your prediction. I can give you a full 90 seconds and let's talk about balance and tipping point. What do you predict 2020 would we would say in the same conversation? Okay, well, I, I, the frictionless piece is really the focal, focal point for me because as I witness a number of platforms emerging that really focus on our life experiences, taking friction out of our, some, some element of our life experience, and I'm a big believer that in the next 10 years we're going to see a world where those platforms have exploded uh, and that more and more of our daily lives are facilitated through technology and the ease at which we do things will, will be something that we won't want to give up. And so in the next five years specifically, I think you see an explosion in that world, which will amplify some of the discussion points we just had today. Um, but along the way, we will find solutions. We will, find, we will leverage the advances that are enabling that frictionless world in, in ways that solve these problems. So in five years, you know, 2020, 2021, I think we will have seen some of those unintended consequences manifest themselves. Uh, I think in some cases there will be some outcry to you know, rein back on innovation at some level, but I think we'll resist. I think we'll, we'll use our capabilities here to, to solve these problems. And, and I think, quite frankly, all that science and technology is positioning to support is societal gain at such a high level that, that turning back will just not be something we'll, we'll consider. Thank you very much. And Brian Kilcourse, I did not forget you. What are your thoughts? 2020, what will we be talking about? You could take a full, uh, almost two minutes, Brian. They were very brief, so go ahead, Brian. So I'm going to be a technocrat here. I'm going to make a technocratic prediction. Um, I think in the next five years, certainly, the technology providers will work either separately or together to derive a, a, new, a new type of data security and privacy protocol which will be something like DNA. Um, for example, our cells can't be used except for their intended cons- uh, for their intended purpose, right? You can't get a hair follicle mm-hmm. and get it to grow skin. Um, and 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 the rules of use in a hair follicle are 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 embedded in the in the cells themselves. Our data security nowadays is based on the notion of perimeters. We establish perimeters like fences, and if you can get over the fence, you can do anything on the other side. And that that's just an old arcane notion of data data security. I think in the in the next few years, we're going to see new types of data security emerge where the rules of use are associated or actually attached to the, data, to the data itself, and that'll change this whole conversation. So that's my prediction in less than two minutes. <laughs> very interesting. We have, thank you very much. Uh, the three of you did so well, and you were so on time. We actually have, oh, about two minutes left before I have to close. So I'm going to go around the table and see if I can come up with a quick bonus question. Okay, uh, let's start with Brian Kilcourse. In 2020, do you think any of your 
digital behaviors will change because of what you either said on the show today, what you've been thinking about for a long time, or what may transpire, and I don't need specific case studies of OMG, <laughs> what could happen between now and the three New Year's Eves between us and 2020 breaking on January 1st, 2020. So do you, can you predict any any of your personal behaviors that would change in terms of uh, allowing your data to be out there? Brian, just give me a 30-second answer, or actually 20-second answer. Go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the next five years as it relates to my digital behaviors. Right now, um, uh, digital is something I carry around with me. It's my mobile phone or it's the computer I'm sitting at. But uh, in the next five years, I think that there will be digital devices in, in my home, in the place where I work, in the places that I shop. That will be um, helping me to make better life choices. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the bright side, not the dark side. I want somebody else to be thinking about the dark side. I like that. And on that note, we'll ask Frank Diana if he wants to look at the dark side. Frank, 20 seconds. What have you got? What would your behavior change? Quick. I don't see my behavior changing. Uh, I mean, the, it's a moving target. In the next five years, we haven't even talked about what augmented and virtual reality bring to the table and, and the issues associated with some of that, right? So even if I were to say today, uh, you know, I, I don't change my behavior, who knows what comes up in the next five years that might change my answer. But I'm typically not one that worries about that, that type of thing. I, I like the conveniences associated with the, the world that exists today, and I can just envision the future where we're, we see more and more of those conveniences, and I, I'm not one to look back. Okay, Larry Stoli, I have one sentence for you. Go ahead, fast. Behavior change, yes or no? Give me a yes or no for 2020. Yes, it, it will change, but I'll make the decision what to change. I won't let technology make it for me. Oh, I like that. I like that. Thank you very much. Good answer. I want to thank deeply Brian Kilcores, Frank, Diana, Larry Stoley. I thought it was a, a super conversation. I know we went in a lot of different directions, but that was the goal. It's a big topic, and maybe we'll come back for a part two. You guys, yes, part two. We'll talk about AR and VR and AI and VR and all that good stuff, all the alphabet soup. So I want to thank Kevin, our engineer extraordinaire, and thank all the people who were uh, Jennifer Moore and Kevin Mulcahy and Frank Diana were tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. Frank can talk and tweet and chew gum and, and uh, drink something at the same time. We're very impressed, Frank. Everybody have a great day. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? It's March 1st. 16% of the year is gone, so use it very well. Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Hi, I'm Dr. Craig Samet from Anthem. Did you know that premature birth is the number one cause of death of babies? That's why the Anthem Foundation is working with the March of Dimes to fight to end premature birth and birth defects. But you can do something today to give them tomorrow. Your support means programs, education, life-saving research, and a voice for families in the newborn intensive care unit. Together, we can help save babies' lives. Give them tomorrow at marchofdimes.org tomorrow. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we have an important subject for discussion, the future of globalization. I have with me Dr. Lalit Johari joining in for discussion from Oxford University, Oxford. Dr. Lalit Johari is a senior fellow in international business at Said Business School and director of Oxford Advanced Management and Leadership Program. His areas of expertise include strategy and leadership in international businesses, alliances including public-private partnerships, public policy and institutional reforms in emerging markets. Lalit is a member of the International Editorial Board for the International Journal of Emerging Markets and of the Academy of Management. He also served as Vice President Australasia of the Production and Operations Society, uh, the Director and Member of the International Board of Building Partnerships for Development and also a member of the Editorial Board of POMS Chronicle. He is Member, Distinguished Advisory Board, Journal of Asian Business Studies. Lalit holds an MSc in Physics, MBA and a PhD in Business Policy and Strategic Management. Welcome, Lalit. Hi, Mahesh. Good to speak to you again. Lalit, uh, I know we have done uh, uh, some very good programs on globalization and its impact and all, but uh, this yes. one is very critical basis uh, the current situation uh, in, in, in the global environment. So, right. let me start by saying that... Uh, you know, about the geopolitical environment. You know, the U.S. elections underscored a broad shift towards uh, protectionist pressures. And yes. uh, these, these are not new. They have been playing out for some time, as it appears. Uh, it's not only the U.S. election, the result out of it. Also, the other glaring example is the UK vote for Brexit, that decision to leave the European Union, you know, that's, that's, that's a major one. And, and, and if you see uh, in the weeks after the US elections were concluded and results were out, uh, politicians from different countries looked at it very differently. The politicians from countries like Italy, Hungary, Greece, etc., and and some other places, uh, they have kind of understood Trump's victory as a justification for policies that reverse probably the pattern of globalization. And then now we look at what's happening in the first hundred days of the new administration in place, uh, in uh, or the new leadership in place in the United States, is that office has reaffirmed its position, which they had uh, spoken during the presidential bid, uh, with a commitment to renegotiate or probably withdraw from NAFTA and uh, not support uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, pull it out of pull out of it, and probably look at China to be labeled as a currency manipulator and uh, probably establish tariffs to discourage companies from offshoring production and jobs 
from U.S. and uh, going beyond that, almost expel uh, two million migrants and suspend uh, immigration from terror-prone regions and uh, not to forget to build the wall. So I, I wanted to take your thoughts. What do you think is the impact of current situation on uh, globalization? Uh, Mahesh, uh, I mean, that's a great question in the sense that uh, you can't separate politics from economics. Anybody who has tried to do that has paid a very heavy cost. Uh -huh. And uh, I would uh, like to reflect a little bit with you on what has gone wrong with globalization that there is uh, a kind of a pushback, at least in terms of... Uh, public discourse and ret political rhetoric. Now, uh, to understand this phenomenon of globalization today, we need to go back to the 60-year history of globalization post-World War II. Uh -huh. And uh, lots of things have happened during this while. I mean, what you see today in terms of uh, rising economic disparities and some industries being completely wiped out from the uh, economic and industrial infrastructure of uh, some of the Western uh, countries, uh, people losing their jobs. Uh, there is a sort of uh, history which can help us to explain that why this is happening. So let me uh, try to uh, focus a little bit on uh, how exactly we have been conducting globalization or the global trade in products, services, uh, information and knowledge in the recent times uh, since uh, the, the period immediately after the Second World War or let's say early uh, or the mid-50s, let's put it that way. Uh -huh. Now, um, 